Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. This is Paul's prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer that he is praying to the church at Thessalonica. I think it's very interesting what he prays, and I think it's very, very interesting how this prayer says something to you and me today. This prayer of 2,000 years ago, if you think about it, has ramifications for us as a church. This afternoon, I'm talking to us as a church body. He is praying primarily here for a group of people. And I want you to understand something. I'm going to emphasize this a lot more in just a little bit. God not only deals with us as individuals. Of course he does. He cares about me personally. He died for me. He wants me to be saved. He wants me to grow. Okay? God, of course, deals with us as individuals. But something we might not think about too often is he deals with people groups as well. He deals with groups of people. Through the Apostle Paul, God is recognizing this people group. These individuals in this church at Thessalonica, the widows, the teenagers, the kids, the uh, young couples, middle-aged couples, older couples, all these different people he is dealing with as a group. And that's foundational to what I want us to take away. I want you to leave here this afternoon with an appreciation that God not only deals with us as individuals, but he deals with us as a church. We are interconnected. How you and I live, how we relate to the Lord, impacts all of us together. It it matters what you, 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 you think and do. It affects all of us. Again, make no mistake, God deals with individuals, but God deals with people groups. Here, through the Apostle Paul, he's dealing with a church, a church family. Like I said, widows, widowers, children, teenagers, adults. He begins in verse number one. Follow along, please, in in your Bibles. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians. He is talking to a group of people, not individuals, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, verse number two, I want to emphasize this. He says, we, who? Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus. In verse number one, we give thanks. There's thanksgiving. There's the spirit of gratitude. We give thanks to God always for, again, obviously, he's a southerner, for you all. You could just say y'all. I would have, you know, if I'd have been an interpreter, I'd have said y'all. 
we give thanks to God always for you all. He is dealing with a people group. I can't emphasize, that is the emphasis of the point I want to make this afternoon. Because all too often we just think of ourselves and our personal relationship with God as we should. As we should. But we need to understand that we are interconnected. Here, God, through Paul, is dealing with this people group. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And let's read through verse number 10. Remembering, without ceasing, your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and the sight of God our Father. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in such much assurance as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only into Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show us what manner of enticing we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. There are theologians that believe this is, of all that Paul wrote, this was his first writing, his first letter. And it goes to the church in the Greek city of Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, the apostle Paul, sometime before, went there as a missionary and led some Jews to the Lord, led some Gentiles to the Lord, and there they formed a church. But shortly thereafter, after the excitement of people getting saved and people getting baptized and people joining the church, there came upon them some outside persecution, some outside pressure. Because word had gotten around in the community that that group of people over there, we don't really know who they are. They call themselves, I don't know, Christians, something about this Jesus thing and whatever. But, you know, the problem we're hearing is that they're calling Jesus They're king. Now, when the local magistrates find out about that, wait, there is no other king than our king. Are they really doing that? Yeah, they say Jesus is their king. Do you call Jesus your king? Yeah, he's our king. And so the the government comes down on them. The government is thinking that this is treasonous. And they start persecuting them. And under the persecution, Paul and Silas flee. Now, sometime later, not having seen these people in quite a while, they get word that the church not only survived, but that the church is flourishing. And so then Paul writes them this letter. And as we just read, he starts off with this prayer of thanksgiving. In verse number two, he says to these people that he hasn't seen in a while, we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. We give thanks to God for you. As he thought about that church and analyzing that church and thinking about that church, there was much that he was thankful for. And he points it out in the passage that we just read. And I've gone through there and I've picked out seven things that I've identified that Paul was thankful for, in particular, for that group of people. Let's look at them. Seven things real quick. 
what does he give thanks for? Well, in verse number two, he says, we give thanks to God always for you. And then in verse number three, he gives thanks for their work of faith. He, he mentions specifically what he is thankful for concerning that congregation. He gives thanks for their work of faith. He says in verse number three, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. When I think of you, what I remember is your work of faith. And the commentators that I read say that what that means is that their work of faith, what what is born out of their faith, what is working from their faith is holiness and, and righteousness. That's what, when he says, I'm thankful for your work of faith, What he is implying there, I'm thankful that God's word has taken root in you and it's changing you from the people you used to be to Christians now with holiness and and righteousness. And we see your work of faith. So number one, he gives thanks for their work of faith. Then number two, he gives thanks for their labor of love. Look in verse number three. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and, he adds this, I also think about Your labor of love. So not only does he think about their faith producing holiness and righteousness, he thinks about it producing labor, a labor of love. In other words, not just being saved, but doing. That's talking about labor. It talks about working. It's talking about doing. It's talking about that they demonstrated kindness. They demonstrated compassion to other people. And he is so thankful for that. It has changed them in the fact that they are growing in their faith. They're growing in their holiness and righteousness, but not just internally, externally. They're now doing. So they're not only being, but they're doing. Then number three, he gave, he gave thanks for the patience they had found in the Lord. They had learned to be patient in the Lord. See, before this, they were lost. They were either, either in idol worship or who knows what sort of pagan worship they were involved in. And, and everything had to be immediate and they wanted immediate results. And now they're learning that sometimes you wait on the Lord. Verse number three, remembering without ceasing, he said, your work of faith, that's number one. Your labor of love, that's number two. And here's number three that he's thankful for. Patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Their trust in God gave them a patience through the trials that they were facing through the Lord. Paul and Silas had to leave. It got so bad that they were going to continue to be missionaries. They had to hightail it out of town. But those Thessalonians, they stayed. Paul and Silas weren't from there. So, but the people that were from there stayed there. And Paul obviously had gotten word that they had, they had maintained. They, they, they didn't quit. They didn't falter. They didn't backslide. And what they had demonstrated was a patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had learned to wait on the Lord. They had learned to be patient. And Paul here is expressing his gratitude that this group of people, and I'm emphasizing on purpose, group of people, as a group, they demonstrate patience. But he's not stopping there. Skip down to verse number six. He gave thanks that they were followers. Some people can't be led. Some people won't be led. Many people is not going to have some preacher tell them what they ought to do and what ought not they to do. Did I say that right? There are people like that. 
I'm not going to go to church. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'll make my decision. No preacher is going to preach down to me, as they would say. Well, he commends them that they were followers. Verse number 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. He was thankful that they were followers. He appreciated, you know, to be a follower, you've got to have a meek and a teachable spirit. So by saying they were followers tells me if I were to go and meet that group of people, I'd meet a group of people that were meek and that were teachable. They weren't a bunch of know-it-alls. They would be be people that would sit and, and listen to the preaching and take it in and try to live their lives accordingly. He gave thanks for the fact that they were followers. He commended them for that. And then number five, he's not done yet. There's more that he's thankful for. He gives thanks that they were now setting an example for others. They're setting an example for others. That had to make Paul feel so proud (coughs) in verse number seven. So that ye were examples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. I mean, their example is far-reaching. And from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not speak uh, anything. In other words, they're now co-laborers with Paul. And he is thankful that they are a good example to others. As a group, their church had a good name. And then verse number 6. He's not done yet. He gave thanks for their growth and their courage. Verse number, excuse me, verse number nine. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He gave thanks for their growth and their courage. He's acknowledging here, you guys used to serve idols. Total waste of time, total make-believe, total fiction, But you were led astray as lambs to the slaughter, you know, doing that. And now you know better. You're not serving idols. I am grateful to you for your growth and for the courage that it took to go beyond those idols. It took a lot for them to turn from idols in a culture filled with idol worship. But as a congregation, widows, widowers, teenagers, young people, middle-aged, As a group, he is thankful for their growth and their courage. And then lastly, in the passage that we read to begin with, he gave thanks that they were now living in expectation of the second coming of Christ. They had matured to the point that they understood this world is not their home. They're just a passing through. Look in verse number 10. Same passage. He says... Paul, of them, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. He is giving thanks for the fact that they have matured to the point that they're living in expectation of the second coming of Christ. Of course, everybody has to live in the here and now to a certain degree. You got to make a living, got to put a roof over your head, got to uh, put food in the fridge, you got to pay your bills, got to interact with people, you got to live life. But you can live life as if this is all there is. 
or you can live life in anticipation of something far better, which is what they did. So here Paul gives thanks for all these many different things that he lists. He's got real reasons why he is giving thanks for that congregation, for that local church. Let me take a drink before I ask you an important question. Could Paul be equally thankful for Myo Baptist Church? If Paul were alive today and had interacted with us, and then our reputation get to him, would he be able to say those same things about us? That we demonstrate growth. That we demonstrate an, an expectation of the second coming, that it's not just all about the here and now. That we have a labor of love, that we have... Um, patience that we found in the Lord with, with one another, that we are an example to others. Could, could he say that about us? And the second question, not only could Paul be equally thankful for us at Mile Baptist Church right now, could he? The second question is, why would it matter? Why would it matter what Paul thinks of our church? Because I guarantee you there's lots of people, not everybody that attends this church, does it matter to them? They are here for themselves, their purpose, their need. That's an entry-level position into the church. I, it, you know, for people to come just worried about themselves and, you know, entry-level, it's all about me, help me solve my problems. I'm, I'm, God's good with that. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. That's, that's where you start. But at some point in time, you sit under the preaching, you do your own Bible study, You go to Sunday school, you're here on Wednesday nights, you grow, and you start realizing, yeah, God can take care of my needs, but, you know, everybody can't be in the wagon, or the wagon goes nowhere. Some of us got to grow to the point where we can get outside and push the wagon or pull the wagon. So why would it matter what Paul thinks of our church? It matters because what I initially said, and please don't miss this. This is the apex of the point I'm trying to make today. God, only, God not only deals with us as individuals, but he deals with people groups. And we are interconnected. Think about the different people groups that he deals with in the Bible, which is what tells me that he does that. I look to the Bible, and this is what the Bible says, and duh, okay. Not only does he deal with individuals, but he deals with families. He, deal, he dealt in the Old Testament with Eli and his two diabolical sons, wayward, immature sons. He dealt with them as a family. Their interconnectedness sunk them, okay? He deals not only with families, he deals with cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Another people group, interconnected, and they all went down together as a group. Families can go down together as a group. Cities can go down together as a group. But he also deals with nations. And the nation of Israel is paramount throughout Scripture, but he mentions other nations in there. 
that he deals with. Sometimes the Hittites, sometimes the Amorites, the uh, Philistines, and you know, he, he deals with, with people groups. We need to understand that. And sometimes Israel was blessed as a people group. Sometimes they went down as a people group. But they were, there's an interconnectedness there. It's undeniable. This, this is throughout Scripture. And, and one people group that's very important to me, he deals with churches. You read the first few chapters of Revelation. I mean, one church, Philadelphia, good church, blessed. Over here, Laodicea, bad church, blessed. I'm not, <laughs> not blessed, bad church. We have to understand and appreciate that God not only deals with individuals, he definitely deals with people groups. We have a stake in one another. And I could focus on families this afternoon or cities this afternoon or nations this afternoon, but that's not my point. My point this afternoon is to focus on what is near and dear to my heart, and that's our church. In addition to blessing or chastising individuals, he does that with families, cities, nations, and churches. He blesses sometimes people groups. He judges sometimes people groups. So I asked the question this afternoon. How is God looking at us as a people group? And I realize in a people group, and especially in a church, a church is like a hospital. You know, you you have people at different levels of, of maturity. But what is our theme as a whole? Because we need to understand we're we're interconnected. And what one of us does as a church family does affect and impact the other. We need to understand, and it's going to impact either for good or for bad. If I throw a stone into a pond over here, it has a ripple effect all the way across the pond. One rock over here can affect the entire pond. And what I do as an individual affects the entire church and impacts the entire church. And the same for each and every single one of us. In a church family, when a person or a family in that church backslides, it reflects poorly on the whole church. But in a church family, when a person or family matures, it reflects positively on the whole church. So, Understanding that, we need to, each one of us, assume our responsibility. I mean, football teams get it. Sports teams get it. Everybody's got to pitch in. You're not going to have, you know, basketball's cranking up. LSU plays Michigan tomorrow night in basketball. In Hawaii, I'm, right, Bob? So watch it with me. Comes on 2.30 Tuesday morning, a.m. From Maui. It, it really is. It really is. I, I get up, as early as I get up, I may catch the fourth quarter. I don't know. Um, sports teams get it. 
Sports teams are emphasizing teamwork, teamwork, teamwork. You know, when you, when, when, when you guys played sports in, in high school and you're, you're running, you know, uh, sprints and whatever, and you see a couple guys sloughing off, and there's always a couple guys sloughing off. Trevor, I'm sure when you're running sprints, you're at the head of the pack, right? And everybody's trying to catch you? you you're carrying them on your back. Well, of course you are. Huh. They, sports teams frown. It's just natural. They frown on the guys that are cutting corners. They're, 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 you know, they're, they're taken away from the team. Sports teams get that. Businesses. Oh, listen, you know, I, I, listen, I, love, I love business. I love, I love business people. I love small business owners and people. Love spending time with them. I mean, th- there's a lot that goes on in business today trying to create a culture. They, they want a certain culture. They want everybody to be on the same page. And businesses spend big bucks. And, and the, the business owners, they travel to uh, Dave Ramsey conferences and they learn all about this stuff. Getting everybody on the same page, getting everybody motivated, you know, because everybody's either going to contribute or everybody's going to take away from it. Where do you want to go where you just wouldn't dare want to hold anybody accountable? Church. Don't hold me accountable. Sports teams, yeah, because, I mean, that's important. You know, business, yeah, that's important. That's, it's, it's difficult to achieve because we're not a sports team. I, I, I know that. And we're not a business. I, I know that. But as I read God's word, he's going to deal with me as an individual. But he's also going to deal with me as a husband and father. He's going to deal with me as a Michigander. He's going to deal with me as a Alconian. Is that we're from Alcona County? We we don't even live in this county. Alcona. If you live here, you're a Myonian. But I mean, I have to I have to understand that. I have to. Under, he's going to deal with me as, as an American. Now, that can't be too much for me to comprehend. That can't be too, too weighty for me. I just can't take that. I got too much on my plate already. Really? No, we're quite capable of handling it. Because we have to. Because whether we handle it or not, we're going to be held accountable as a family member, as a citizen of the United States, as a member of my old Baptist church. If it's good for the business world, if it's good for sports teams, we should understand this and practice it. So, pastor, what do you have in mind? What, you know, all of you should be thinking right now. Every single one of you should be thinking right now. I'm in. I want to carry my weight. I'm not going to be the one just, everybody else is running laps, you know, and I'm just walking or, you know, I just... Hop in the wagon. You know, you're going to have a program? Well, I'll show up. You want to help? No. You're going to have a meal? I'll show up. You're going to help? No. You know, and new Christians, sure. They're not ready yet, so I'm, I'm reasonable on this. But at some point in time, you know, we need to have people. Everybody can't ride in the wagon. You know, it just somebody's got to be mature enough to, to, to push. There were folks here yesterday. 
had a good group of folks here yesterday that were, you know, pushing the wagon. They were here four hours or so, you know, setting up stuff out in the cold, out in the rain and what have you. And people during the week come in. There's going to be guys, like tomorrow, those guys showing up tomorrow to help with the lights. And guess what? They're, they're pushing the wagon. They, they, are, they are contributing to the team. Oh, I thought about this the other day. You know, I used to coach basketball, <laughs> and I was quite good at it, I might add. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. Um, although we did have some success. But I, I learned, I would look down the bench, and you have three players that are sitting on that bench. I don't mean three numerically, but three kinds of, of players sitting on the bench. You have guys that when you put them in, they're going to come off the bench. I've mentioned this before, but some of you haven't heard this. It's been a long time. Some guys, when you bring them off the bench, they are going to contribute. They're going to get rebounds. They are going to score some points. They're going to add a spark to your team coming off the bench. That's the first kind of guy. You want a lot of those guys on your bench. Okay? The second guy that you can pull in off your bench when you send him in, he's not going to contribute positively, but he's not going to hurt you. He'll just go in and hold his own. He'll make the passes. He'll, he'll play the defense, uh, but he's not going to contribute positively. Okay. So you got the guy that contributes positively, and then you got the guy that not going to hurt you, but he's not going to help you. And then you got way down on the end of the bench, the guy that when you get ready to send him in, he's got to put his hamburger down, and then you call him over, and then you, you send him in. He's going to hurt you. He's going to throw it out of bounds. He's going to double dribble. He's going to foul the guy taking a three-point shot and turn it into four. You know, he, you know, and, you know, really, churches, if you think about it, churches are like that. You have those kind of people in churches. And that's okay. You know, if, as long as all three of those are at practice. And as long as all three of those are listening intently. And as long as all three of those different groups wants to do better. But the guy on the end that puts his hamburger down so he can go in the game, I've seen that before in games. Coach at the end had no idea that big kid at the end was eating a hamburger, but I laughed when I saw that. You know, even the guy down here wants to play. Why is it in church? Then you got people that don't want to play. They don't want to come. But they don't want to that, that's who concerns me. There's all kind of different giftedness and abilities in this church. And I don't care whether you're first string, second string, or third string, to use that metaphor. All I would care about as a coach is, hey, you want to be in the game, you want to play, you keep working and you're going to go from third string to second string. Maybe you're just a ninth grader, but hey, by the time you're a senior, you'll be the guy starting and there'll be another ninth grader down there because all he's going to do is hurt you when, you when you put him in. Folks, all I'm saying is you're important, you matter, don't let Satan mess with you, you have a lot to contribute. And a coach has to be patient with his players, and I need to be patient here, and I I am. But allow yourself, allow yourself to be stretched sometime. Look for that place where you can contribute. I mean, there there are folks in churches that will go through illness, and people will provide meals for them, and they'll be all happy to receive the meal, but when you announce that we need meals for somebody else, they never, 
you know, but they'll take it. Well, at some point, that's okay. But at some point, that's, well, you've been under the preaching of the Word of God. You've been here two years now. Maybe we should start seeing some maturity. What did Paul give thanks for? That's what we should all aspire to. On a basketball team, they're going to aspire to shooting over 50%, maybe hopefully 60% from the field, you know, at least over 40% from beyond the three-point line, getting eight or nine rebounds per game. You know, you have certain things that you know when you can achieve those things, you're contributing, okay? As a church family, because you're contributing to or not, okay? And we want you here. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, last thing I want to do is run somebody out. Well, I'm not contributing. He don't want me there. I'm going to leave. You got it all wrong. No, I want you to do better. I want you to aspire to more, knowing that you can, okay? So what should we aspire to? Well, let's just review real quick. What does it say here? What does it say concerning? What did Paul pray for? That, that's our list right there, okay? Where, where do we need to contribute? A work of faith. Okay, we all need to be working on growing. A work of faith. Growing in our faith. Growing in holiness and righteousness. Okay? That's something we should all aspire to. Number two, a labor of love. Loving people and laboring for them. Helping them. Writing them the cards. Going and seeing folks. Showing up for decorations. That sort of thing. Patience in the Lord. That when you do go through that tight squeeze time of your life, that you're patient. You're not looking back to the past. You're not about to do something dumb and drop out of church and quit going and reading your Bible. Need to be dedicated followers. Aspire to be a dedicated follower. By a follower, you're, you're listening. You're, 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 you're writing it down. You're, you're taking notes. You're growing in the Lord. Be an example to others. Let others watch you. Let it be okay that they watch you. Making sure that you set a good example in, in your speech and in your faithfulness. That's why it's so important to be faithful. Because people are watching you. And growth. He talked about growth. He was grateful for their growth. They were no longer serving idols. Things that you used to do, you don't do anymore. You've learned that that was wrong. And now you're doing better and you're avoiding those things. And then living in an expectation of the second coming. Of Christ, You mature to the point where you're not getting all bent out of shape with everything that's going around us because we know, like I said earlier, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Those are all signs of maturity. So you're in this room right now, some of you, probably first team, some second team. That's okay. That's okay. You're on the team. I was glad when guys came out for basketball. I'm glad you're on the team. And there may be a few... Third stringers in here. I am so tempted to look at Bill Goldsmith right now. <laughs> I just and, and a rhetorical statement. There are some third stringers in the room. <laughs> yeah, look when you point them out when you find them. <laughs> See, there are also people in church that are clueless. You preach to them. <laughs> you can't take a joke, huh, Bill? I hope so. Right. You're bigger than me, and I don't. T- so. They're, they're all important. You're hoping those third string guys next year will be up on second team. And maybe you're on third string right now. You're, I, I, we want you on the team. Okay, don't quit the team. 
But realize you're on a team. This is not an individual sport. This is team. Some of you on second team. You're valuable too. Because the first teamers, this is kind of sad, they're going to graduate. Brother Hack has graduated. Brother Hinckley's graduated. There were some guys, maybe could have been called second teamers, that have moved up. So wherever you are, don't be discouraged. And I'm not putting you down. I mean, it's it's just a reality, okay? But if everybody on the team, first, second, and third team, is all running those laps as hard as they can and shooting 100 free throws after practice, giving the best they can, as a team, we are all progressing. And I don't want to pat ourselves on the back. But as your pastor, I really think Paul would say some good things about my old Baptist church. And I would hope a year from now, he could even say some better things about my old Baptist church. That this Thanksgiving season, God would be, if you will, thankful for us. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Mile Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.